Okay, folks, welcome to All Things HEMA. I'm Aaron Pennerberg, your host. First sponsors, we want to always uh, mention Albion Swords, History in Your Hand. You know, we are surrounded again in the studio here by these objects, and every time I hold one, I'm just reminded of the quality, the craftsmanship, um, the intelligent historical research that went into each piece. So we want to thank Albion, we want to thank them for their dedication and what they do. Uh, I also want to mention uh, Seth's Coffee, quality coffee in every cup. It's uh, kind of a addiction of mine, but it is a fantastic place to get some coffee here in the Fox Valley. They're in Little Shoot and in Appleton. Check them out. I can't recommend them enough. Uh, they're just great people too, and they're they set the day the tone of the day properly by getting that cup of joe and a friendly face and a nice smile. So check that out. Of course, we have Larry Brumman's uh, Brumman Setter Honey. Um, if you're local, check out that honey because it's amazing. It's also very addictive. And then, uh, of course, Jeremiah Bockhaus and um, his Umbrella Forge. He mentioned in the last podcast we did just about the prizing prior to Katie Lehman doing her prize. Uh, he mentioned he's doing a waffle for this for listeners of this podcast. And what he mentioned is that at the time, he didn't really know what he was going to offer. Well, I'm here to announce that he has decided to focus in on one object, and he's making a custom buckler for HEMA practice, and uh, that's going to be the waffle item. Details of the waffle, as far as how you can get in, will be coming in a future podcast. So... That's pretty cool. We thank Jeremiah Bockhaus and Umbrella Forge for that generous gift and that uh, neat promotion. You know, Jeremiah's custom products are just really cool. There's definitely a, an element of like hand-built, hand-wrought design, not just from a blacksmith's point of view, but also from a pra practitioner's angle. So there's always these little elements to everything he makes that are that are kind of intricate and neat to the design. Um, so that's cool. And then uh, Gary Lewis um, doing the Advocare products, Care Gary Lewis, um, and that's uh, glewis1921 at gmail.com, like we'd mentioned before. And he has uh, on, I think, my Facebook page, he has added some links and stuff so you can find him. But his Spark and O2 Gold products are great for performance enhancement. So, today I have a guest with me in the studio, and this guest is Stephen Kozell. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Aaron. Stephen is my XO for the local club here in Appleton, so he's kind of the second-in-command and kind of runs the ship if I'm absent or if I have specific things I need done. Stephen takes care of that for me. He's been wonderful, so I thank you, Stephen, for that. No problem, Aaron. All right. Um, and then... Uh, also, today's podcast, the subject of today's podcast is about injuries, about um, sustaining injuries, about life-changing events. Uh, we are both here um, in a pre-agreement to talk about some things that have happened to us personally that have really kind of rocked us in a way. Um, so what we had to do is kind of re-examine how we thought about ourselves in terms of not just as martial artists but like as human beings so we're going to discuss that a little bit and i guess what i'll do is just open the floor to steven and maybe you just want to start out and give us some background a little bit how long you've been practicing that kind of stuff sure um i started hema in march of 2016 i started here in the appleton chapter of the whfa um 
been training under Aaron Pinenberg the entire time, and uh, it's been great. Uh, I have most of my success, or all of my success, rather, is thanks to his training. Oh, and, that's kind of you. Oh, you know. 2016, huh? Yeah. Has it been that long? It's been, yeah. Four years or so? Uh, we're on the fourth year. Wow. So it's like three, you know, three years, four or five months. It goes fast, huh? It does. It flies. But yeah, so um, so I've been training here since then, and you know I've done other martial arts in the past. You know, college I did boxing, and uh, when I lived in other places, I did uh, Muay Thai boxing, kickboxing type stuff. Um, I've done various workout stuff over the years. I did CrossFit at one point. I did. I've been powerlifting for a while, or powerlifting type movements rather. I've never competed, but it's what I consistently worked out in for three or four years. Um, and yeah, so that's my kind of martial background. Um, when I started HEMA, uh, I started HEMA when I moved here uh, because I found the club from, you know, internet search. I'd seen some videos online, not of the sort of WHFA, but of what HEMA was and saw that classic New York Times video that everyone has seen. Oh. And then... Uh, Is that what got you in? Yeah, that one, and then there was another one from, I believe, uh, an Eastern European practitioner, uh, Anton something. Uh-huh. He was doing some various Zornhal moves, and it's a couple of years old at this point, but uh, it was pretty cool to see, and I was like, all right, that's way different than I was expecting a longsword, uh, uh, the speed at which a longsword was able to move. So that was really influential, and I showed up, and... I haven't left since. So. Yeah, the rest is history. Now, Stephen, yep. you're a big man. You're you're one of the bigger guys in our club. Thereabouts. How tall are you? Uh, oh, six two ish, six one, six one and a half, somewhere in there. Right, and depending on my posture. Right, <laughs> which is always extremely perfect. You uh, have very good posture, I have to say. I work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like six two, and what are we like? Uh, 230, 240? 240 240-ish at the moment, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, you know, if I'm really disciplined, I'll get down to 235 or 230, but, you know, if I like to enjoy life or enjoy a weekend here and there away from my more strict diet, it'll be in the 240 range. Right. But, yeah. All right, man. Well, so that's you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven you, and his skills have just, like, blossomed over the last... I think year and a half or so, maybe even going on two years now. He's got you've got a certain style about you. You have a very precise kind of way in which you move. You know, like some people look at sometimes you fighting and think like, well, he's not moving much, but you move like appropriately when you have to, right? So you have kind yeah. of like a conservative type of style, and I'm, I'm going to touch on that later after we talk about what happened and stuff because sure. I met, yeah. I saw something in you that I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. But you have a very, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to say like um, quieter movement pattern, but you, you do have a very conservative movement style to you. Sure. Um, and it's not like anything that's inappropriate or anything. Like no one should say it's lazy for any, for any way. You know what I mean? Like I think somebody might have mentioned that before. Like, oh, he moves kind of lazy. And I'm like, oh, yeah. no, he's moving very precise. Like everything he's doing is, has a lot of precision to it. And you have a large frame, so you're able to cover a lot of ground, and you defend yourself well, and you mm-hmm. attack well, and all that stuff. You have a very good uh, tactical sense and awareness to you. Like it's very obvious that you have a boxing background, you have some kind of combative background, mm-hmm. so that's kind of neat to see. So anyway, so Stephen, you're going along practicing, and all of a sudden, what what happens with you? Uh, all of a sudden, uh, happened actually when I was at work. I um, uh, started feeling some heart palpitations. 
uh, and, and it was on a Monday, Monday morning at work. Started feeling around 11 o'clock after my first energy drink. Um, and I didn't really think much of it, but it didn't feel great. Kind of felt like a fluttering in my chest. And a little off kilter, didn't feel quite as planted and balanced as normal. So, you know, I mentioned it to a coworker. He's like, oh, you should probably go get that checked out. And I was like, well, I shall be all right. You know, whatever, things come and go like this. Um, so I waited till after work, till about you know, 4.30 in the afternoon and decided, all right, well, you know, we're, you know, I should go, maybe go to an urgent care center. So I did that and um, they, 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 you know, brought me in and took my heart rate. And the first thing he said, he's like, well, we can't treat you here. We need to take you to the ER immediately because your heart rate is way too fast. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So wow. um, I ended up being admitted to the emergency room and then but it did a bunch of tests on me, gave me some stuff to try to bring my heart rate down. Um, while I was laying in the emergency room after they got the uh, EKG stuff on me, electrocardiogram. So they put all the different like sticky things on you and all the wires so they can actually read the electrical signals of your heart. Uh, I was watching the thing, uh, the machine was going between like 100 beats per minute, sometimes it was up to 170, and it would just vary by the, the, the second, you know, Jeez. Very arrhythmic, which is means the heart was beating out of uh, proper rhythm, kind of like a misfire in a car. Yeah. So your chambers aren't beating in the, the precise rhythm in which they should, and the rate was also very, uh, like varying wildly, which is called uh, tachycardia. Um, so I learned all these fun heart terms pretty yeah. quick. And right. So I spent the next three days in the hospital, which was not fun. Three uh, days. Three days. Yeah. So I got in on Monday. Uh, left on a Thursday afternoon and like what just happened to me yeah um, fortunately they were determined through all the testing that the my heart is structurally sound no injuries to it no problems with it however the problem I was having was an electrical issue um, the electrical signals were not firing correctly there were certain areas probably causing interference and all this other stuff so had some follow-up appointments with an electrophysiologist, which is a cardiologist that specializes in the electrical signals of the heart. Um, and they recommended a cardiac ablation uh, using a catheters. Uh, and so I said, you know, they say that, you know, they told me that the best way to do this was to be aggressive with it, to do this quickly and soon. That way there would be no lasting damage to the heart and also no lasting imprint. Because if your heart beats in a wrong or an improper rhythm for too long, it will adjust to that pattern and become less efficient. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, that was all fun. And so I had my uh, catheter cardiac ablation on March 19th, which was about six weeks before the icebreaker HEMA tournament. Yeah, in Minnesota. In Minnesota. So. Um, I went into the hospital, I went down to Milwaukee for that. Uh, my parents came up for five or six days and they did all the kind of running around for me and all that took me down there and back. It's great to see my parents. I love my parents, but I was like, well, I just wish they didn't have to come out for this because they live in Pennsylvania. So it's a bit of a trip. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, the surgery was about three hours. I was asleep for the whole time, so I 
The only things I remember are laying down in the bed, them giving me the, the anesthesiologist saying, all right, here's the happy juice. And then they put the mask on with the, uh, the uh, gas that makes you go to sleep. Yeah. And then I'm waking up in the waiting room. Right. So, or uh, recovery room, rather. That is a weird experience, isn't it? It is. It's like, all right, well, here I am. All right, so that's your uh, that's your story. We're going to give you a break, and that's I'm, I'm going to talk about my story. Sounds and good. then what we'll do is we'll try and like compare notes a little bit, maybe yeah. about how we felt. So I think it was maybe eight or nine years ago now already. Mm-hmm. Spent some time, and uh, actually Jeremiah and I had applied for this TV show, Full Metal Joust, and so they sent us out to LA to um, we were like sequestered in a hotel. And they run you through all these tests and things, you know, these screen tests to see if you're going to be a good fit on the camera. At the time, I'm like, picture of health. I mean, I think I was working out three or four times a day at this particular time in my life, you know, just really hitting it hard. Um, I was younger, obviously, you know, I hadn't reached that that 40 uh, benchmark in age. And, um, you know, everything's ticking along just fine. I mean, I think of myself as a human tank in a way, you know, everything's great. So we're doing all these tests. Um, they do a MRI check of all of the contestants' heads because they're going to do that before and after the event because we're going to be jousting, hitting each other with lances and such. And so I assume the idea was they just wanted to make sure that they could, you know, pr- prove that we didn't have any brain damage or anything from the incident and we couldn't like sue them. I think it was a, kind of a liability thing. Mm-hmm. So, whatever, get the MRI, just like every other contestant on the show, and we're uh, chilling out, you know, waiting to get our orders to go to the next shooting thing. And um, at this point, like, the the guy, the director of the show, comes in and grabs me out of the stack, and he's like, Aaron, we need to talk to you over here in this other hut or whatever. And I thought, okay, like, you know, whatever. I, I actually immediately thought, like, maybe it was some kind of family tragedy or something, just by the tone. Mm-hmm. So I go with this guy and he brings me in this uh, room and they bring in this doctor who's like a neurologist in LA. Mm. And they're like, this is so-and-so, he's like the head neurologist of, you know, the biggest freaking hospital you can possibly imagine here in LA. And now we're talking LA, this is no longer Afton, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. And the guy just kind of sits down with me and he's like, listen, he goes, you're, you're strong as a bull right now and I can pass you on to do the show no problem. but..." He goes, you don't realize it, but you have MS. And I'm like, what? You know, what? He's like, well, let me show you. And he had all these results and stuff from my MRI. And he also had my questionnaire from my family background. For those that know me, understand that my mom has, you know, suffered with MS for many years. So they sit down and they they pull up these MRI scans. And there's uh, he shows me a healthy one. And basically, like you can see the outline of the skull, and then you can see the brain, and it's just the uh, one color material, right? And then he shows mine, and it looks like a damn Christmas tree. Like, there's all these, like, little white specks, and then even larger white speck areas all throughout my brain. I mean, it looked like someone took a shotgun and shot it with all these pellets. I mean, it was just full of holes, basically. And the guy's like, you know, this is your brain. And he goes, right now, for whatever reason, it's not affecting you. Like, I've seen many brain scans of people with MS... And he says, I have to be frank with you, this is a lot of damage for the for MS. Like mm. he's like, this is significant brain damage. For some reason, it's not affecting you. We can't explain that. He goes, So you might have two months, you might have two days, you might have 
10 years. There's no way we can predict what's going on. He said, but my, my advice is we're going to send you home with these scans and you should immediately hook up with your doctor and then get um, hooked up with a neurologist there at the neurology center. And they had a couple of neurology centers they mentioned here in the area. So he must have went in system and checked it out. So I was shocked, you know, absolutely shocked. It's one of those things that when you receive information of this nature that affects like your vital functions, and we're not talking about like a sprained knee or, you know, busted finger or some kind of serious sprain or strain even. We're talking like heart, lungs, kidneys, brains, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's news that you can't really... You can't really come to terms with unless you've had some kind of thing like this because it takes everything that you think about yourself at that time and it just like turns it inside out. I remember I, I immediately left the show. I'm like, send me home. This is bullshit. You know, I just couldn't believe it. I was in shock to some extent, but also the, the amount of damage they showed me on this scan just really scared the shit out of me. So, needless to say, get home, hook up a neurologist. They've put me on all these medications for many years. None of it really changed any of the damage they found in my MRI scans. My MRI scans have been consistent for all those years. I'm, I don't feel any effects of any of this stuff mm. that I read about in terms of MS. I think maybe there's some, like, memory issues and stuff, but I can't really find anything more than any other 44-year-old might have. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem like right. it's that extreme. But... So those were my initial thoughts, and really we're not touching on what happens to us during our practice of martial arts, but now I want to bounce the ball back to you and ask you how, how it affected you. So the, uh, my first response was like, you know, what the heck's going on here? And, you know, my, the, first, the real first question you ask is like, all right, first what's happening to you? And then the next question is, why is it happening to you? Yeah. And the what was pretty clear, and then the why, though, was a bit more fuzzy. So for myself, I mean, I kind of attribute it to somewhat of a lifestyle issue. So I was not sleeping very much or well. It's getting like, you know, three to five hours of sleep, which is not a lot. And then I was also kind of supplementing that with, you know, two, about two energy drinks every day. Hmm. So... Um, that's that was my immediate thought. I was like, okay, well, obviously, going to be changing that stuff immediately. No more energy drinks, no more, you know, better sleep, that kind of stuff. But from here on out, I'll make those changes, and then. But then the question is, what else? Yeah. And you know, I talk with these, you know, the doctors, the cardiologists, and most of them didn't have an answer as to why. And um, you know, one of the, um, I guess this kind of ties in because I have been doing this program for the past year or so called Move U, as in Move University, Move the letter U. Um, it's a movement, pro movement education program uh, to help you deal with your posture, help you fix, you know, muscle imbalances, joint pain, back pain, hmm. neck pain, foot, whatever kind of, like, you know, joint pain or foot pain you're, de or you're dealing with. Yeah. These guys have run a program online uh, and it's fantastic. Um, they include, you know, a little bit of mindset, info, you know, bits here and there. But for the most part, it's, it's not a lot of kind of anatomy lessons. It's like it tells you how you know, things should work. 
yeah. how your body should be, how you should sit, how you should stand, and then it takes you through kind of from the ground up. You're you saying that now, and I feel like straightening up in my chair. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm slouching too, but... <laughs> You know, they go through almost every muscle group in the body and telling you how it should work, and then they give you stuff to do to change and to modify it. So, okay, you know, can you sit here and do this? Can you do this? And then if you can't do this, okay, well, you should be able to do this, so what you have to do is do this. And, you know, it starts off with basic things like your hips and your shoulders. So, you know, a lot of people have issues with um, lower back pain and that kind yeah. of stuff. And so a lot of that is attribute to the angle at which your hips sit or your pelvis. Uh, a lot of times, most people is too anterior, some people are too posterior, but a lot of that also comes from glutes and core activation, your abdominal muscles. So they would literally have you do the most basic exercises of, can you just squeeze one of your glute muscles? Yeah. So literally squeeze one of your butt cheeks, which is what your glute is. Can you sit there and squeeze it, activate it, just sitting in a chair, laying down on the ground or wherever you are and i was like okay i can't do that and you know if you know if those listening at home try and do that can you just only squeeze that muscle so yeah. you're like the left side just try and squeeze only your glute you're only your butt cheek i'm doing it right now good all right well here's that's that's good then not everyone can <laughs> oh when i see I, when i when i started this i yeah. was like wait a minute all right I, it took you it took me time to get the level of body awareness to be able to squeeze that to, independent muscle. To be muscle. able to squeeze that very, you know. That's interesting. A, it is. And so they teach you body awareness and uh, it's, yeah. The, it's called move you? Move you. And now what's significant about this is the two, the founding, uh, one of the founding members, Mike, he's a, he's a chiropractor, a doctor of chiropractory. And he actually had a practice of about 15 years or so that he transferred over into the, uh, this new website and this program because he found that this program that he would take his patients through was way more effective at getting people up and around and healing them, permanent, you know, forever fixed kind of stuff yeah. than, you know, just uh, doing the normal chiropractic adjustments of cracking backs and all that other stuff. I mean, so does this tie into your heart thing? Is this how you're getting does, over this? It yeah. does, uh, because Mike, in one of his coaching calls, and he is like, you know, they'll have these live calls where they'll talk for 15, 20 minutes, talk about themselves, you know, they'll give you motivational stuff. And he talked about how when he was in his mid-20s, he actually had a, the same issue of the heart palpitations and then having a cardiac ablation. Huh. So while I was laying in my hospital bed uh, back in February, I, you know, sent him a couple messages like, dude, this is my situation. He's like, and, you know, what what do you think? I mean, what's the, he's like, you know, that I'm like, they can't tell me why. And you know, he gave me some answers of like, he's like, the doctors can't tell you why that's for you to figure out. The doctor cannot tell you why this is happening to you. Then they won't. And you have to figure out what it is and why. And then the other thing is that, you know, the ablation is a bandaid. So you have to be able to adjust your life to, you know, make sure this doesn't happen again. So, you know, it really, it changed my mindset from saying, okay, well, you know, this is really crappy, but at the same time, you know, I won't expect, you know, a, a, a why from the doctor and yeah. I can, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can do. I mean, the other thing they talk about or, you know, mention a lot in their sort of motivational bits uh, from their program is that, you know, you have one body and you have one life yeah. And you are the one who's going to care more about it than anybody else. Right. No doctor will, no massage therapist, no personal trainer, no 
chiropractor, no cardiologist. No martial arts teacher. No martial arts teacher. He'll hit you with a sword in your body. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, you know, eventually it's on you to yeah. like take care of yourself to the point where, you know, you can live the life you want to live. Right. And, you know, that's, that really is the whole like premise of Move You. And then the great thing about that program is there's a, They've created a community online, like a community of groups on Facebook and stuff like that, where people help each other. You sort of do the movements they show you, and then you critique your own movement. You post a video and critique your own movement, and other people critique it. And yeah. they'll say, okay, that was those were really good uh, you know, glute bridges. But next time you do it, try to make it so your knees don't move outward at all. So it's like an online coaching community. It is. Yeah. Is it? Do you have to pay for it? Yeah, the the initial program, the Forever Fix, is a bit expensive, but they have other they have like lower levels of it where it's like you know you can do a six month or a year if you want okay. to try it out. But let me ask you this real quick. Go let me interrupt it. you. So you get this, uh, you have this thing, you mm-hmm. get this um, this diagnosis. Sure. Did you have a Did you have a period of time where you were like a little despondent, like you were kind of you know, down about it, a little depressed about it, and then we're like clawing your way back up, being like, oh, I'm gonna figure this out. And you know what I mean? Did you go through these ups and downs or? Yes, I did. Um, there was like, you know, the sort of like disbelief and all that, the, the, the five stages of grief or whatever yeah. it is. You don't yeah. really believe it's happened to you. Like, I can't believe this, why is this happening, you know? And, you know, eventually, you know, you come to the acceptance of it, but the the biggest concern for me was like okay what is my life going to look like moving forward from this right what am i going to be able to do what am i not going to be able to do yeah. what am i going to be able to continue doing hema and fencing and all this other stuff that i love to do because yeah. and you're a dancer too uh yeah i will do you consider yourself that yeah kind of yeah I, yeah so i do uh uh different types of swing dance and lindy hop really yeah. i don't do it as much anymore it was something i did a lot more when i lived in uh baltimore maryland but okay um, I do a little bit now here and there still. Um, but anyway, you know, what's it, what's it going to look like if I can't, if yeah. my heart rate's going to be all over the place or if I'm going to be feeling this kind of dizziness or whatever, yeah. how can I continue to do the things I love to do? And you know, it's the, you're right. It's like a grieving process. You're like, I, this stuff may be taken away from me. And yeah. it wasn't necessarily, I was more worried and probably more anxious. Yeah. There was a bit of the stress from that was more significant than the, you know, uh, than like, yeah. So, it's, so, uh, I'll share with you. So the, uh, the day that I got that information from that doctor, or whatever mm-hmm. at night, we were supposed to remain sequestered in our hotel room or whatever through the process of this show. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, whatever my life's over. So I actually took a cab to like the, I asked the cab driver to bring me to the shittiest dive bar biker bar i mean hole that he mm-hmm. knew of and he's like are you serious and i'm like i want to go someplace i might not come out of and you know i was just in a state of like i think it was disbelief but also just like you're mentioning it was like i was imagining my life without any of the, the physical stuff that i enjoyed and seeing myself as like this husk of a, mm-hmm. a shell of a person like I used to be. I just felt completely empty. And I went to this bar and it was like, it was like the Star Wars cantina, you know. It was perfect for my mood. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and I just, you know, drank myself to oblivion. And uh, luckily, 
I think there were a couple people in there. I actually, I didn't really tell my story to, but they could tell that I was pretty down. And I, I kind of was aware and conscious of the fact that they were assessing whether they were going to like take advantage of me or, or not take advantage of me. You know what I mean? And being from the Midwest, I think they immediately just see in you a sense of like genuineness. Yeah. So you're trusting. Yeah. You know, we're you're open. Earnest, you're yeah. Earnest. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I think they knew immediately that I was two things. Something was really wrong with me and that two, I was from the Midwest. And so honestly, like I just felt, I felt them assessing me to determine whether or not they were going to take advantage of me and like knife me or something and steal all my, <laughs> steal all my money or whatever in the alley. And they just, they ended up being very kind and it was, it was actually a pretty positive night. I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm so despondent. I don't care at all right now about so much that it really doesn't matter what happens to me at this point. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And it was a many years of crawling back from that point in life of just kind of rebuilding. Right. So let's let's now let's switch gears and talk about rebuilding because we've kind of set the stage now about like what happened to you, what happened to me, how crappy it was, but sure. also right away how we're starting to maybe deal with it. And part of that dealing process, I think, is that that sense of that grieving thing that you mentioned. Right. Yeah. And it's I think it's important to allow yourself to go through that. Yeah, for sure. Um... So, you know, one of the things I did afterwards, I actually uh, uh, got in touch with Tom Beneke from the brain spotting stuff that you and that was, uh, yeah, one of our podcasts we had. Yep. And so um, I was able to meet up with him and we were actually, I mean, because the sort of trauma of going through something like this was fairly fresh, um, able to, you know, do some very kind of good work on using the brain spotting techniques. And it, it was actually very effective for me. And I think it helped uh, just sort of release some of the kind of emotion, some of the thoughts and some of the, just the, like the pent up, whatever. Cause I, you know, I'm, if I process stuff, I usually process it on my own. I'm not someone who, even with my friends, I'll share bits of information with them and bits and that, but I'm not usually gonna get too, you know, emotional or whatever yeah, you're kind of a private person right yeah and that's and that's kind of how i like to keep things but in a case like this i was like all right i need to sort of get a some kind of release from from that uh and that was only um probably it was several weeks after my procedure and all that and you know the building back up a lot of it was um i'd use the move you stuff a lot and a lot of the motivational stuff was very helpful and useful. It's like, you know, I have one life and I want to live the life I want to live and I will do everything I can in order to, to do that. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, it's some of their motivational stuff is almost like the, you know, Tony Robbins self-help, but it's, you know, it's valuable because, you know, when you get the idea of like, all right, if I can improve myself 1% today yeah. and then 1% tomorrow, then a hundred days, it's a hundred percent kind of thing. And you know, when you're down and when you're not really sure what the future looks like for you, the that kind of th that kind of mentality can you can at least kind of grasp onto it and say, okay, well today I can do this, yeah, and then tomorrow I can do that, then maybe the same thing or maybe something a little extra, yeah. And you know, the other thing I was doing was I was really kind of monitoring my heart rate. I was. I have a little pocket EKG thing that I will use occasionally. And then I also 
have one of those uh, polar heart rate straps from and then the, the watch so I can see whatever the rate is at the time and you know I would go do a workout and you know my heart rate was consistent early on I was not pushing myself whatsoever I would barely go at you know, 60 or 70 percent of effort and even if that high um just so I know, you know, knew what it was going to feel like and knew what things were going to be like. And, you know, I was still on all the medications from the surgery and, and all that. And I'm still on a few of them, but, uh, after another month or so, I'll be off another medication and hopefully go off of the final one. So, yeah. cause I don't want to be, you know, tied down to medication for the rest of my life either. I mean, right. you know, I take supplements and that kind of stuff, but mostly that's all like, you know, different vitamins and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, the moving out of it really came from the, the day to day, like what can I do and what can I, you know, try to do and, and all that. So from an outsider's perspective, as yeah. I've watched you go through this thing, mm -hmm. I mean, it's been very impressive to me, um, for, for those that haven't seen it, but, or heard about it, but you know, you fought, what was it? Triple overtime. Yeah. With Matt Olson in, in Minnesota. So, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have not made finals in any tournament you're in to that point. Correct. Right? And I mean, because you, you're fairly new in the tournament scene. I mean, you're just kind of getting into it. You've been through a few of them. Yeah. There's people with a lot more experience. Right. A lot more skill. And you're, you know. you're starting to come to that point now in your, like, development where all of a sudden you're leveling up. Right? We always call it leveling up. Sure. Yep. And Steven is right on the cusp of, like, he's kind of like jettisoned jettisoning all of those those mistakes that people have when they first pick up the sword and start fencing and now you're becoming more one of those practitioners that does the stuff you're supposed to do instinctively more often than not mm -hmm. and it was obvious watching you fence in minnesota that two things were happening one you were i think aware of your condition still like you were yes. you were monitoring your heart rate very carefully you were it was still on your mind but it didn't appear to be uh, negating your skills or your physicality in your mm -hmm. fighting. It was some of the best fighting I ever saw you do. It was some of the most energetic. It was some of the most skillful. Um, you brought that, like we talked earlier about your movement style and stuff. Mm -hmm. You brought that precision and that accuracy with what you do with some more physical presence in terms of your movement style mm -hmm. and i thought to myself like this this is a different steven i'm watching like he's he's doing all those positive things he always has but now he's leveled up to a, a point that i hadn't seen before and frankly i mean i was thinking about how you were going to perform with all this stuff that had just happened to you mm -hmm. right and i thought okay it's good that steven's here and i'm sure you know he's going to do all right but right you know i didn't expect that kind of level of performance out of you and it was like amazing like matt olson is a very skilled protect practitioner yes and and he's like above your skill level in terms of his experience i agree yes. you know not not anything technically but his experience is greater than oh, yours yeah. and i'm telling you you looked amazing like i said fought him three overtimes ended right. up with third place in long sword right yep yeah. um and but, just yeah. looked incredible so medal winning super hard matches there was another couple matches too was it single stick or something where you so, had to go overtime matt olson i fought matt olson in single stick that's right and he ended up getting third place uh the bronze medal in in single stick that's right but that did go three overtimes so that was like a basically two and a half fights 
And uh, and then for Longsword, I fought Scott Thomas. That's right. And then that went... But that was overtime, Three too. overtimes as well. Jeez. And That's so, right. yeah. yeah. Um, and he's also very skilled, and he's been... I think he's actually won Icebreaker in the past. And yeah. so he's very skilled as well. So, uh, you know, what I got to say, like my mindset there at the time, you know, I did okay. I did well in my pools, and I moved on to Malaysian. So I was like, all right, this is great. I'll just take it as it comes. Yeah. Uh, not trying to get worked up over stuff because again I had to keep my heart rate down. So one of the other things that was in the back of my mind was when I had my follow-up appointment from my uh, ablation procedure, the doctor said, you know, avoid being in kind of your 80 to 90 percent of yeah. heart rate. Right. Which, uh, you know, I'm 35, so the number of that number is about 185 beats per minute. That's about my max, or should be my max. So, um. During those two fights, I definitely reached my maximum heart rate. Uh, I think the max reported heart rate on the uh, little my little watcher or whatever was 189. Um, wow. And that was during the longsword match. So afterwards, I was just sort of like, you know, I'm stressed about more of my heart. I'm not. It was, I was not as worried about like fighting in front of everybody or whatever. I was. I was stressed mostly about what was going on inside of me because. Yeah. You know, I don't want. To hurt myself, I don't want to, right. you know, to for you know for to die at some point or to have a heart attack or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I you know the doctor told me that there's there's almost zero percent chance I'm just gonna like drop over at any point. Right. But at the same time, I don't want to have to cause myself to have another arrhythmia or whatever. So, I mean, if you, you know, the look on my you know face, a lot of it was sort of a stressed i was mainly i was just really stressed out about what was going on inside i was very anxious about that yeah so it i'm not sure again if it helped or hurt me because i was i was focused on the opponent but at the same time i was also like you know occupied with about 25 or 30 percent of my mind of like you know what's going on inside yeah and i didn't look at my heart rate until after everything was over right because i didn't even want to know yeah right at that point you're like well i'm in this and <laughs> if i drop over well i you know i go out with a sword in my hand and, and, I, <laughs> and so valhalla here it comes that, that is yeah i mean not many people get to do that these days so right if i were to be loaded on the stretcher in the hospital i'd appreciate <laughs> if you guys just put this keep the sword with me and you know uh-huh. catch me on the other side or whatever but that's awesome um but yeah so it was you know it was interesting well, it was not... it was incredible to watch from a yeah. from an outsider's point of view, and especially knowing like all the things you had gone through and yeah. all the work you had done to kind of get yourself back in that kind of shape. Uh, not not only physically, but also like we were talking about, and really the subjects of this entire podcast is mentally. Yeah, you know, putting yourself present there mentally, um, doing something that you care about in such a way that you're almost like you know, damn the consequences to to a certain degree. Right. A certain reasonable degree, um, but I'm going to continue to do this and see what happens. Yeah, um, it was really cool to see, and I give you a lot of credit for it. Yeah, um, I think there's there's a lot of people that this kind of stuff just absolutely wrecks who they are on how they identify yeah. with themselves. And I, I have to be honest, it took even though I, I I admit I did not get that despondent about things. Uh, you know, for the most part, I continued to practice as as much as I could. Um, the medication messed with me for a number of years, but mm -hmm. then I decided with, with no change, I decided to get off all the medication. So currently I'm not taking any other than the vitamins and things like that, that you, mm -hmm. that you mentioned too. Um, and, and the mindset that I had was very similar to yours, you know, I'm going to try and take care of myself, but at the same time, 
there's only so much you can do. So, right. so what kind of life do you want to live? You know, I, I look around the community and I'm always impressed with like, uh, like Reese Nelson. He's a guy, right? He's an amputee okay, and yeah. he's out there doing harness factin and, you know, doing all the things he can do. I think that's neat to see. Right. I think there's a lot of other folks out there that have talked on the Facebook um, forums and whatnot about their mental challenges. Right. And I yep. think all that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's, well, what is the HEMA group with the disabilities and stuff? There's a, there's a, there's a HEMA okay. group and I think I'm on it, but there's a HEMA group specifically dedicated to people who are mm. fencing with disabilities and problems. Yeah. And I think the overwhelming majority are a lot of mental uh, issues and things. Um, but those, yeah. as a police officer, right, uh, those are things that are serious things. They and, are. and we're constantly reminded of how serious they are when things go wrong, you know, but mm -hmm. It's one of those things where, yeah, man, you got to keep keep at it and do what you can do. Yeah. So, you know, it's weird because a lot this the kind of thing that happened to me is that's something that always happened to other people. Yeah, it just never happened to me. I've always had good right. health. In the past year or so, I switched my diet to a more ketogenic, carnivore based, and lost about probably forty ish pounds. Yeah. in the span of a couple months, and you know, so my heart has always been very strong. Always had great blood pressure. Always had great cholesterol. At least in the past few years. Yeah. And yeah, so this was a very unexpected thing. And you know, part of it is you know a wake up call for you know lifestyle of you know kind of burning things at both ends. Yeah. Not, not getting enough sleep, and then you know supplementing with energy drinks, which you know. You know, I like everybody does sipping on monster all day yeah. was you know a thing for a long time for me. It was probably a good two two and a half years. Yeah. So it's just like well, I mean, look like, at coffee. People oh, drink yeah. coffee like sure. You know, nonstop. I mean, yeah. energy drink. People kind of malign sometimes. People, I think they harass them a bit and like, oh, yeah. energy drinks. What are you thinking? It's like drinking a cup of coffee or a, yeah. a freaking carafe of coffee every day is not yeah. that different, really. I wouldn't think. No, it's really not, and. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, my doctors, cardiologists have said, like, yeah, you can have a cup of coffee a day if you want. I'm like, nah, it's, it's not. Yeah. Just don't, I don't need to start that. I mean, my personality is such that I'm kind of a not all or like, kind of an all or nothing person where if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to kind of 100% extent. So that involves, that includes also overdoing things like too many energy drinks, not enough sleep, that kind of thing. But yeah. at the same time, if I'm going to swear off something, I'll swear off it and that'll be, that'll be it. And I don't need, I won't look back. And, and if it's not something I really, really care about, then I won't you know, have any regrets about it. Yeah. You know, I don't miss the energy drinks. I mean, sometimes I do because it's like, oh, it'd be nice to have some pre-workout before a workout or a class or something like that, just to bump up your energy after, you know, working all day. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't need it, and it should be something that you know it's it's not worth the potential consequences for me since I got this. And yeah, I'm I'm still only you know four or five months out, actually less than that, probably two or three months out from this procedure. So you know, I think that as time goes on, I may be able to add some of those things in, but you know, we'll see. And yeah, because right now I'm, I haven't even hit my uh, two month mark from yeah. my procedure. Right. So. I mean, it is... Yeah, all that happened to you in Minnesota was like, the icebreaker thing was like right after. It was about I six mean, weeks, was, yeah. It was quick. Five and a half weeks. And, you know, I asked the doc, I'm like, can I still do this? And he's like, yeah, you can. Right. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's fine. And, you know, I didn't mention, 
the only people that knew about this were people in either our club or who been you know that I'm fairly close to, and yeah. that's about it. And I didn't mention it to most any of the competitors at Icebreaker until afterwards. I mentioned to it to the few people I kind of know a little better, and then maybe at the uh, uh, dinner thing that uh, Saturday night. Yeah, and um, you know everyone was like, "Holy crap!" You know that's insane. Yeah, it's not what we you know that is just people were fairly surprised as you know. Most people would be say, oh yeah, about six weeks ago I had heart, you know, minimally invasive. I had heart surgery. Heart surgery. Yeah, yeah heart surgery. And because it's a fairly, you know, it's big kinda, deal. Kind of crazy. So. It's a big deal. Yeah. Well, I give you a lot of credit. Um, and like I said, you know, you bring a lot to the club. Um, we're not here just to bump you up, you know, and talk about you in terms yeah, of yeah. this kind of uh, situation. But I really do think it's great to see the example that you've set in terms of coming back from these kind of substantial things. Um, yeah. As far as, as far as advice, you know, out there for people um, that go through something like this, um, I also did a lot of research in terms of the grief process because yeah. for me it was almost like, it was that, that key like decade of the 30s where you're starting to lose your youth, you know? Yeah, right. And there's yep. outward signs that it's happening and you feel different and you start you can't eat as much, you know, and, and yeah. your attitude kind of changes slowly, but surely you can feel it almost. Mm -hmm. So it was right at that pivotal time in my life where I was going from like that 20 year old, you know, for lack of a better term, like jock stud, right? Yeah. Where I could eat anything and, you know, do anything. I never was sore. I never cared, never bothered your, me, never got hurt. Your warrior phase. Yeah. Your warrior phase, right? Your young blood phase to like the middle age kind of yep. entry thing. And now I'm full on, you know, in my middle age <laughs> time frame. But um, just, you know, there's a grieving process and I feel like you should go through it and you should accept it and almost kind of not enjoy it, but embrace it. Right. You know, similarly, I look back to how I handled it and certainly I could have made some better choices for my own safety, but at the same time, I think it was important. And there's a, there's a Native American custom that I've mm -hmm. learned of that I think is very interesting. And um, they kind of talk about how they would experience life and let those feelings happen to them. In other words, mm. they wouldn't feel, they would have a process where they would just embrace that feeling. Sure. And they wouldn't feel guilty about the fact they were feeling that way. Like if their blood was up and they wanted to, you know, go out there and put the war paint on, they didn't feel guilty about that. It was time for war. Right. Yeah. And then it was time for peace. And then it was time for depression. And then it was time for sadness, you know? Like they had these, these things where they embraced whatever feelings they were feeling and they didn't feel as if, there was any kind of polar duality and of course this is very just generalized but yeah but it's it's kind of an interesting concept and it's a concept i learned of a long time ago when a friend of mine invited me to the menominee reservation to hang out with his with his family and friends and stuff and i went through a ceremony where they were okay they were actually embracing the feelings of sadness over the loss of one of their family members yep and you know this friend of mine uh, explained the whole thing theory of this of this philosophy and it's something that stuck with me for many years and so when you know when these feelings happen i just kind of embrace them and i i allow it to happen to me without guilt or remorse and sure. i don't try and change my mind about how i'm feeling i just kind of allow it to happen mm -hmm. um, and i think there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to that and it's a, it's a good strategy because you feel it completely and then i think you kind of get over it right I agree. So, I mean, the other thing I think that helps a lot is having, uh, you know, friends in the community and that kind of stuff to go through with things with. And I think, you know, part of the, 
process in dealing with like kind of chronic pain, so yeah. you have a back injury, and you know if you go to the doctor or you go to a Cairo, you'll that's the you know that's that'll be the one person you interact with, but you really want to interact with more than just one person because it's not going to be you know one appointment or two appointments a month or a week or whatever that's really going to help you it's going to be the stuff in between it's going to be the people who get you through setbacks yeah because you know you know as things are good right now but you know i may have a setback right and the thing is like you're have going to have to have a base upon which to hold to go through that right and so you know i've seen that through a lot of the um in the movie community, there's a ton of people who have way more difficult issues than me. They have, you know, herniated discs yeah. and they have fused spine, like, you know, very yeah. intense, serious. serious, you know, surgeries in the past. And, you know, the way they get through that and they'll, you know, they'll share about it and then people will kind of help them get through it. And, you know, like, what can you do? And yeah. they'll keep you moving forward. They'll right. focus on, you know, kind of the goal of moving forward rather than, I mean, you can, there's a level of a, uh, where you do kind of embrace what's going on at the moment, but then you have to move past it and right. move forward. Because if you stop moving, then you stagnate. And you will that's when you kind of succumb and you'll go underneath. Yeah. You'll kind of go underneath the water and... Yeah, you let it take you down. You, right? you drop down and you'll quit doing things you love. I, I totally agree with you. I think that's a great point. Um, and also, I think I just want to, to maybe add and end with that... We all have this picture of ourselves in our mind as far as like where we're going to be someday and we're going to be like perfect, right? And everything's going to work out and we're going to be great fighters and we're going to have, you know what I mean? I'll have all the knowledge and everything figured out. And what we need to say to ourselves is that's an unrealistic expectation. Like we're going to have these ups and downs and it's a process by which you just have to mature into the thought that, you know, I'm not always going to be 20. Mm -hmm. And as I encounter each of these things it's okay to go through the the process of, of feeling bad about it and allow those feelings but then just like you mentioned you got to get a community of support around you you have to be realistic with yourself and you have to keep keep going forward you cannot allow it to to drag you down and and sit there and just uh, dwell in that so well very good thank you so much for sharing your story I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are listening to this that have had some kind of thing happen to them, and I think uh, you've probably touched them and motivated them in, in many ways. Like I said, the, the, the thing from a third-person perspective, watching you go through Minnesota, the tournament, and seeing you fight to that level with all the stuff you had just been through and all the stuff on your mind was just incredible. I think you did a great job. Thank you. And it was uh, it was really neat to see. Yeah. So congratulations. Well, thank you. And thank you for being part of it. Of course. It's my great honor. All right, folks, that's the podcast for today. Thank you to Stephen Kozell and uh, Train Hard. We'll talk to you later. Thanks.